1: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
2: Hello, and welcome to season three of Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted. I am so excited to share this with you. The podcast has been recorded over eight weeks in front of a live audience at Arco Beleno, an inclusive queer space in the heart of Kemptown, Brighton. I am so proud to be partnering with Arco Beleno and cannot thank Luciana, Nick and the whole team there enough for their support and generosity in the making of this season of the podcast. If you haven't been there before, please check it out. Not only do they have an incredible Maltese menu for you to explore, but they also have a range of cocktails, drinks and a regular schedule of entertainment for you to enjoy. The podcast is also being supported by their production company, Across Rainbows Productions, and film for YouTube. So if you didn't get to come to one of the live shows, you can find these videos at your leisure on the Across Rainbows YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, give the videos a like and leave any comments you may have. We also had several authors participate in the shows and Kemptown Bookshop were on hand to sell signed books by the authors. You can check out this beautiful bookshop in the heart of Brighton, but make sure you take your credit card because you will not leave empty-handed. The shows feature a panel of guests where we'll be talking all things queer, and an audience Q&A too, an opportunity for everyone to get involved in the conversation. In this episode, we'll be discussing queer mental health. The show features author Michael Handrick, LGBTQ domestic abuse worker and outreach lead at a Cross Rainbows charity, Melanie Blackwell founder and director of the Cross rainbows charity luciana cousins and performer alex fincher i hope you enjoy the show so whatever you're up to this is your time to settle down relax and enjoy the podcast welcome to queer i am So, welcome, everyone, to Queer I Am, the podcast, live and unscripted, episode five. Um, can't believe it's episode five already. Only a few more to go. Um, it's going very, very quickly. But this one, we're talking about mental health, so queer mental health. So, thank you all for coming. It's a very intimate crowd, but that's actually really lovely. So, I'm going to introduce my guests for this amazing conversation. So, first of all, and again, best outfit of the evening. I'm sorry, folks, but... You look... Stop it, you're embarrassing me Stop it <laughs> You look incredible So we have the amazing podcast and drag performer Alex Fincher Big round of applause
0: Thank you for having
2: me, thank yeah, you oh, It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure We have the owner of Arco Beleno And the founder of Across Rainbows Charity Which focuses on redefining queer identity and Identity, oh my god I've had two wines already <laughs> Identity <laughs> Luciana Cousins Hello we have domestic abuse support worker and outreach lead for across rainbows melanie blackwell who is also an amazing painter um so check out her work because it's incredible the picture you you did the david Bowie picture right that i published today yeah so check out melanie's work it's amazing and we have the amazing author who was responsible for this incredible book which i read last year and I'm really happy that you'll be reading something from it today. Michael Hendrick, the author of Difference Is Born on the Lips. So, a big round of applause, please. A few weeks ago, I forgot to introduce the guests, so we're already on, we're already on, we're already doing all right, which is good. So, I always ask this on every episode, and I'm not going to. Um, shy away from this today so if you all had a song to reflect your mood right now in this moment small icebreaker what would your song be and we've been talking about music outside quite a lot haven't we so i'm guessing what some of the answers might be but i'm gonna start with alex so what would your song of the moment be
0: currently um i uh, i'm a singer-songwriter and i like to think of all of moments in my life as like eras and right now i think i'm in my villain era uh so i would say crazy by dochi if anyone knows that song, or go Google it afterwards. It's very chaotic. and.
2: Can you give us a couple of lines? Uh,
0: I, I, I don't think I'm allowed to say half of the words in that song.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can
0: say what you want on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the audience go find <laughs> it. Yeah,
2: I don't think I'm quite dressed for that song right now. Luciana?
3: Um, I, I could te- tell you, yeah, but for about 10 days... I've had the same song on a loop in my head. Okay. But i kind of It's high. so annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you
2: know? But it's number one, isn't it? She's done incredibly well Because with it. it
3: doesn't get out of your head. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> were listening to it in the sure park. I, I'm not even sure I like it. No. It's just constantly... It's, like, ba-dum, ba-dum. it's all in the
2: hook. It, she, she does <laughs> yeah. very well with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah. a bit Kylie. Nice.
3: Yeah, which I don't even really like Kylie, kind of, but anyway. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just... Melanie? or is it Melanie, Mal? What do you prefer?
3: Um, I
4: don't really mind.
2: You don't mind? Okay, so what would your song be?
4: So I've been listening to a lot of Melissa Etheridge. Okay. It's normal, but my favourite song is Nowhere to Go.
2: Nowhere to Go, okay. Yeah,
4: and I actually had that on blast earlier while I was cycling, so it was probably that one.
2: Okay, cool. Michael? Um, I think,
5: I don't know if this is an overshare, but I was singing her in the shower this morning. Uh, Probably prima donna by marina and the diamonds oh
2: nice yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, Lovely. yeah yeah, yeah. okay amazing i see i've just had tina in my head all weekend rip tina meant very much to me so um i didn't actually know her but you know so i've literally listened to tina on loop for the last kind of five days um she did a very good version of the beatles help i don't think everyone's ever heard that before she did like a ballad version it's very good very emotional so that's been on my kind of my playlist but um Nice. Always a good icebreaker to talk about music, I think. So, um, But we are talking about something very serious today. So we're here talking about mental health. And I guess it's a really complicated subject by nature. Um, but I think it's a really important one. So I'd like to ask all of you how important it is for you all to discuss mental health generally and how important you think it is for us to be keeping the conversation going generally, not just on this podcast, but, you know, in society Start with you, Alex.
0: Um, well, personally, for me, I've kind of always grown up with quite an open dialogue about mental health. Like my mum is—that's uh, 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 just how my mum raised me and my sister, and uh, all three of us came from like very traumatic backgrounds. So, uh, yeah, it's always been like an open dialogue. I think as an adult now, I'm a I. I I find myself trying to be an open book a bit more, not like running around in the street being like, you know, <laughs> shouting my emotions, like, I'm tired, like, or whatever. But, um, you can do that. I it's just, possible. yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, but I, especially with my friends and stuff, I'm, I'm trying to be, sometimes, uh, I, I can find myself retreating and becoming a bit of a recluse. I'm trying not to do that now as an adult. Um, that was definitely me and my, early 20s and teenagers. Uh Oh, God, I've just, like, exposed that I'm not an only 20-year-old. Forget what you heard. <laughs> Forget what you heard. Don't worry, I'm probably still older than you. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> I always do say, black don't crack, but it do
2: creak. It do creak. <laughs>
0: um, I forgot what your second part of the question was. I'm so sorry.
2: Just how important it is, and I think you've kind of answered it, really. It's, yeah, uh, it's important very important. Keep that yeah. going, absolutely. What about you, Luciano?
3: I think it's very important. I... Um, I think over the last maybe two decades, it's become more mainstream. Mm-hmm. So people are not shamed about having mental health issues. Um, but still there is a stigma attached. Yeah. Um, we sort of okay with, um, you know, depression. We're okay with this, but there's certain ones that, you know, they're still not spoken about. They're still not out in the open. Yeah. Um, and, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's also very difficult if you're going through something to actually open up to someone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, safe spaces then become really important.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mel? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
4: so, similar to Alex, I grew up with um, acknowledgement of mental health, but in a way that we, were, we didn't speak about it. So okay. my mum had lots of issues. So I was really aware of, of lots of detrimental sides of mental health, but wasn't really given the tools to address it. So now I think it's really important that I have an awareness and I try and understand, because I've always been understanding, but I just didn't have the, the tools to access to deal with it. the yeah. support, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now a lot of the stuff that I deal with is part of helping people with that, because having the, kind of the, the, the bravery to tell someone that you're having issues with mental health be really difficult so and sometimes for my like for my own mental health I take days out where I just have to sit in a quiet room and I know sometimes that that's happening now so I don't feel too bad about it like I'll just take a day off and I'll sit in a room and just watch like shit tv because that's what I need for yeah to calm whatever's going on in here so yeah
2: we all have those moments. and do you think and we'll come on to your work in a bit but do you think that your experiences have influenced your want to do the job that you do now was it always an interest for you
4: yeah definitely I mean I didn't always know that this is where I was going but I've always been like a bit of an empath and understanding but I just didn't know that that's how I could push that feeling of what I had with me was I've you know I've done a lot of hospitality work and decorating and whatever like I've I've worked with people Mm -hmm. but I've never helped people until the last few years and now this feels like oh that feels like, the right thing I should be
2: doing. Amazing. That's yeah. incredible. What about you, Michael? <clears throat> um,
5: I, I think different that I grew up working class and Catholic, and it was a very kind of stoic, very, you get on with things, keep your head up, don't get upset, don't be emotional. Kind of mental health wasn't a thing until probably in my mid to late 20s. And it was very much just don't be weak. If you're feeling depressed or anxious, it was a sign of weakness. And I think until fairly recently, it was like I got to the point where I had to start um, acknowledging my mental health and understanding it and working through what makes my mental health more positive and you know how i can help myself um i think you know it's it's vital that we talk about mental health um especially within the queer community you know with the trauma that we live through the microaggressions the kind of societal inequalities mental health is you know imperative that we talk about that we open it up and I feel like so many of us are just trying to get through things and we don't stop to acknowledge it and to talk about it and open up about it. So I think, you know, we're now getting that, to that point where, as Luciana was saying, that for so long it hasn't really been a societal-wide conversation. But I think specifically within the queer community it's something that... You know, we we have to, we have to talk about it. We have to, you know, discuss with each other what we're going through. And sometimes it is hard to reach out to each other and say, I need help. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we we need to get over that fear of feeling like a burden or, you know, people won't understand and we need to kind of,
2: yeah. I think you have to surround yourself (coughs) with people that really can listen and can help um i remember having a really poor episode in my mid-20s and being told you just cope you get on with things you don't take time from work you put on a brave face and you and i remember just thinking why did we do that and yet, that was instilled within me it was like that's something i had to do and it was as you say a weakness it was seen as something that was something to be ashamed of and i think that the great thing is now we are more open about it i think if you go back 20 30 years someone that had a a diagnosed mental health condition, the words and the terminology that was used for that were just so awful. And so you believe you grew up believing that actually to have anything less than positive or great mental health, especially as queer people, we have so much other stuff kind of going on, but you it's almost like a failure. That's how I felt. Yeah. And it's only when you get to a point where you say, actually, no, this is just what it is and I need to deal with this. It almost gives you that space to be able to say, okay. This is the way to kind of move forward, um, but I think that's probably really common. I mean, I'm just—we don't normally go to audience Q and A now, right now. But did everyone kind of hear those messages when you were growing up about mental health? Was it kind of cope and get on with things and be brave, and yeah.
5: or even just not discussed about? Like I remember mm. at school, I don't think it was ever mentioned. I think maybe depression was mentioned once, but like. Anything about mental health, I don't remember being discussed at all at school. And that's such a vital time when you learn about, you know, your health in all of its assets. But mental health was never mentioned at school at all.
2: Absolutely. I've got some stats here, which I wrote down earlier. I've done a bit of research. Um, I had to write these on a separate piece of paper because there's quite a lot. But um, I thought it'd be interesting to share this. So 2021, and you've probably heard some of these as well doing the work that you do, but Mental Health Foundation published the following about queer mental health. So depression, self-harm, alcohol, drug abuse, and suicidal thoughts can affect anyone, but they are more common with LGBTQIA plus people. Being LGBTQIA plus doesn't um, cause these problems but it's something we go through that can affect mental health, such as discrimination, homophobia, transphobia, social isolation, rejection, and difficult experiences of coming out. It's important to know that embracing one's identity can be a positive impact on well-being too, but can result in more confidence, sense of belonging in the community, um, and better relationships with friends and family, but also it does have a greater negative effect as well. And there's more, sorry cheerful (laughs) cheerful stats here being LGBTQI doesn't mean someone will have more mental health issues but it means they are higher risk of experiencing poor mental health so what are all of your thoughts on that does that correlate with your own thinking your own experiences of being in the community do
3: you want Alex to go I mean Luciana go for it Um, I think (laughs) the community is in crisis I think the numbers for mental health are ridiculously high. Suicide rates keep climbing. Um, And with all the supposedly things that are there to help, it's not making any difference. Mm -hmm. I think we need to sort of clear everything and start over again. Mm -hmm. Because whatever is is being done is not enough. And I think one of the reasons we started um, Across Rainbows was because you know that just it's if you look at the numbers and those numbers are not even close i mean mm-hmm. um they are a lot higher and they would have evolved the from... suicide rates are so high mm. if any other community was going through this the world would be up in arms but it's okay because i don't know mm. um but you know all the you know, you know how i feel about the <laughs> But it's not working. I mean, how much education do straight people need? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, years and years of telling them and explaining. I think it's enough. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the help that's out there is not enough. It's, mm-hmm. it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And until, I think, as a community, we sort of say... We're we're done with this shit. Sorry. Um, yes, I
2: said, I said this evening, <laughs> It's fine.
3: You know, it, it's it, it's not going to get any better. We're just going to keep losing people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a crisis. Well,
2: just to add to this as well, I've got some more stats, and I will just read these out to you. We'll go for it. <laughs> so, gay and bi and men are more likely to attempt suicide in their lifetime than the rest of the population. Um, LGBTQIA people are one and a half times more likely to develop depression, anxiety disorders, and compared to the rest of the population. And 67% of trans people had experienced depression in the previous year. And 46% had thought of ending their life. I mean, that's just astounding, really, isn't because it? Because
3: it's, it's just... sad. You know what's really sad? It's not us. It's them that caused this. Mm. It's not about... And we're happy. We're fine. But they make life so difficult uh, with hatred. And it, it's just... Yeah, of course, any anybody's going to end up you know, having mental health crisis. But I think it's just time to say no more.
2: I mean, it's really interesting. And Sorry, just to, just to add, I think it's really interesting what you said. But I think, if I think about my own mental health, and it'd be interesting to see all of your thoughts on this as well. You know, I remember being a teenager feeling, actually, I remember being anxious from a very, very young age. I have diagnosed OCD. I was, I've been clinically diagnosed with it. It's something that I have to manage now through medication and through looking after my mental health. And when people hear about OCD, they think, oh, you like to tidy your wardrobe. No, 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 <laughs> It's like the worst things that can go through your head that you can imagine. And I think I was just always on high alert growing up, always on high alert and always doubting myself. And they call it the doubting disease. It's like you're always second guessing yourself. And I think the correlation with being queer and growing up and knowing that I was different, I was always on high alert, watching my back, wondering what was going to happen you know, how could I live my life? What would that mean? All that kind of stuff. So I wonder whether, yes, absolutely, the communities outside of the queer community, the the treatment that we receive isn't helping. But actually, do you think that when you grow up in that you know you're different, you're almost, especially I guess, kids in the eighties, nineties and hopefully it's getting better, but are you all almost setting yourself up to have poor mental health because you're on high alert, because of you know what goes on in society. You know the kind of treatment you're going going to have.
0: I mean, I was going to jump on what you were saying of like um, that with those numbers because I was thinking it must it must be more than that because it's almost like we just accept that it's part of our existence. And like, I mean, for me personally, like being a person of color as well, like I just uh, you know uh, my drag character is about being this like alien and who don't, you don't. The reason I kind of go towards things like that is because I, I, I've never really felt like I fit in anywhere. And we were talking before we even started. I've lived in so many places, and and each one of those places, I've never felt like, you know, I, I'm like one of one of them. Do you know what I mean? I'm always the other one, or always most situations you go into, most, uh, you know, things you become a part of in life, whether it be school or work or whatever, you're always that. Other one, and um, so yeah, I think most of us have experienced just being on high alert since, well, childhood or wherever you re- whenever you realised that you were different. But yeah. I would say most of us probably had that internal feeling of being different before we fully understood it, anyway. So
2: what different meant?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: exactly, exactly. So, Absolutely. What do you think, Mel? Um.
4: So I just I just kept thinking about the time that when I kind of came out. It was the initial rejection and then the apology, like, oh, well, I'm just really worried that things will be really difficult for you. And I've heard that story a few times, many times from other queer people. That so then you're already taught that things are going to be difficult before you know what that looks like. Because the people you're trusting that brought you into the world are telling you that they're terrified that something awful will happen to you. And I know that started well before I was born, but when people started coming out later and later through my life, we were still getting the same message. Like, I'm just really worried that you won't have an easy time. But, like, what does that look like? (laughs) And why weren't we taught that actually you can still be you and have just as good a chance of, of love and life and happiness as everyone else? But sometimes our initial response, and, like, my initial response didn't go well at all, but a lot of people that I know have had the, oh, well, we accept you. We're just worried that you'll just have a really tough time. And whatever age that is, how does that set us up for getting any of it Right.
2: Confidence. Oh, there confidence, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. That will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's that like when someone says something like that, I don't know about you, but I alt- automatically feel like the pit of anxiety <laughs> and coming. Yeah. So it's like, well, shit, what's going to happen? Yeah, what, you're what like, does that mean? what are you,
4: 15, 16, 25? Like, yeah. What does that feel like when someone that knows a bit more about life than you do that just says, I'm really worried that the next 10 years are like shit? Or like, um, so, you know, you'll have a really tough
3: time. You're doomed before <laughs> you yeah. open the door.
2: And I think, you know, people in parental, you know, parental figures or people who are, their job is to nurture, I guess in some way, maybe they think they're protecting you. Mm. But it doesn't change the situation, doesn't it? You know, you're, you're not just waking up one day and, oh, I've decided today I'm going to be gay or yeah. trans or whatever. So...
4: And I think those of us that are lucky enough that have had a parental figure to come out to, however well that went, if we've had that community still, we then normally end up with our own chosen family, Mm -hmm. and that's how we rebuild those connections. But it can really, that can stunt your growth emotionally and, you know, kind of psychologically before you're even ready to. That's why we talk about, like, LGBT people having, like, a second adolescence because whatever age we come out, we're having to readdress all those things that we yeah. didn't get to do when we were younger
2: yeah yeah when you see all your friends kind of living their party life at 16 17 girlfriends boyfriends whatever and you're kind of in the corner going oh yeah i just like to be here to have fun <laughs> really you're bursting inside because i'll hold like... your bag yeah <laughs> i remember my friend saying to me you never come out and pull i'm like yeah i just really like to dance and, like, and i really i was just like craving like you know yeah. something but i didn't even know what that was inside because i was too kind of scared what about you michael what do you think Do you remember the original question? (laughs) Tell me again. (laughs) There's just the stats, you know, what what does that that reflect on, on your experiences? I
5: think for a long time I thought I was alone in how I felt in terms of my mental health and everything correlated to it. And it was only when I started researching the book and through the book starting to talk to my queer friends about their mental health, that I was like, this isn't me. I'm not alone in this. I'm not broken. I'm not, you know, um, isolated in how I'm feeling. This isn't a me issue. This is society that is doing it to us. This is not, you know, any fault of a queer person. It's the structures in society that is making us feel this way, that is impacting our mental health in how we... Feel we belong in society because it's set up in you know as we all know a cis heteronormative way, and you know we're ostracised. We feel isolated, and and so many of our journeys we we live alone in that because you know so many of us find our chosen family later on in life, and we're living through you know understanding our sexuality and coming out in an isolated way and it was only when I started doing the book that I was like this is not just me this is across the queer community and it's and it's you know as you said the the stats are horrifically high and uh, exactly going back to what you were talking about Luciano that you know our mental health support services are done through a cis heterosexual lens so they are not tailored to our needs. They are not, you know, set up in a way that understands queer trauma or queer discrimination and and how we can be supported and what our needs are. And, you know, looking at things like <clears throat> substance abuse and offsets of, you know, mental health, like the national guidelines of how much alcohol you should have per week is done through a cis lens. Mm-hmm. So it's done biologically. So how does that relate to trans people? Mm-hmm. You know, all of our health care in our healthcare systems are done through a cis heterosexual lens. So when we need support, it's not there and it's not done in the right way. So that is immediately a barrier for queer people accessing mental health support
2: the right support yes it's really interesting and i've not you know planned this question before but chosen family this comes up a lot and we talk about this a lot right but what strikes me is you can meet people that you know you have that kinship with you connect with and that's that's wonderful but i think we're all going through something so how effective have you all found chosen family and have there been times where You thought you found your chosen family, the people that you think really get you, and then you realise that actually, together this isn't going to work because we've all got the stuff kind of going on. Because I think that can be a real risky thing for everyone, can't it? If you're if you're feeling vulnerable or poorly, and then you know that someone else is, and you're trying to make that connection, that could probably end up in in chaos. So, what does chosen family mean to all of you, and how easy has it been to find? those people
5: i think chosen family has <clears throat> been a life saving for me um i don't think if i had the friends i did when i was a lot younger i i probably wouldn't be here like in all honesty i probably wouldn't be here um and they were essential to me because i only came out to my immediate family within the last three years um so i mean it's not late comparatively there's people who come out a lot later than i did but they were essential for me in in terms of my development my mental health my support systems um so i for me it was entirely essential for my my well-being and who i am today um And I think in in terms of, you know, what you're talking about in terms of everyone's going through their things, I think there's, there's a collective understanding and a shared experience of what we're going through, even if it's not always shared and, you know, everyone has their own different experiences and things that they're working through. But I feel like within a chosen family, there's an understanding there of what we're processing and what we've gone through, whether that's Bullying or rejection from family, or you know, di- discrimination. I feel like even if it's not openly talked about, there's an understanding. And you know, like you said, like it could just be going dancing, and that can be huge for our, our mental health. It's a release, you know, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a release. And you know, you're there with your friends, and you're laughing, and you're having the best time. Which, you know, growing up. Uh, As kids, we could never imagine that. Like you're saying, being at a house party and being like, this isn't my place. There's no queer people here. There's not someone I can make out with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we can live that together with our chosen family. And even just, you know, having those times together is a hugely beneficial thing to to our mental health. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Luciana, what about you? And I hope you, obviously, we've talked separately. We've had coffee and we've had conversations. Obviously... You came out later in life, and you have a family. And what about your experiences and kind of like finding your identity and you know living your truth? What was there an impact for your mental health in terms of that journey, or was it something that you were able to kind of process quite quite easily?
3: Mm-hmm. No, eat, I I, eat I think uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I think um I didn't I didn't even know it was I I had mental health issues. Okay because uh, i grew up nuns like <laughs> yeah and they, they mental health is not a thing um you just got on with it um i think i i realized that i found out about mental health funny enough was watching oprah um she was talking about something and i thought well, actually <laughs> is that me um uh, but yeah i think um I think I I I felt very lonely. I was always felt very alone. I was felt always felt different but just very very lonely and um I just you know almost like a robotic way of life. Um but you know when you have children it, I mean they they became my reason for living because I think without them I wouldn't have bothered. Um but it's um i i think i'm very resilient so i i'm also quite logical but i i thought just <laughs> cuz then i ended up spending 2 years in therapy which really saved my life and it made me feel like you know i was actually really normal mm-hmm. everything i felt everything i went through um and yeah i i sort of think that woman saved my life therapy
2: i think i mean even if you're having you know an okay time or you're having the the crisis therapy talking is so underrated but it really does help it's like being able to express yourself freely without judgment to someone and feel listened to i think it's it is a lifesaver
3: i think the biggest problem and i i speak to people and i see the same Sort of reflected back at me is, um, and maybe people don't believe this, but I really do believe that so, you know society is controlled through shame. They they sort of shame you into thinking, so people are afraid to do anything or say anything. And I think I I just from hearing things and stuff, I really um really struggled with you know, this, like, secret, you know, that couldn't tell anyone. And, of course, shame thrives if it's in a dark place and you don't talk about it. So once I started, I found a voice, it was like, really? You know, because it's what people tell you. It's not what you've actually experienced. But like Melanie said, then, you know, it's almost a self-prophesizing, well, you're going to have this happen to you so yeah and i think it's the the shame that that sort of almost like paralyzes us you know
2: Well, we talked about shame last week and one of the things we mentioned was um shame can't survive with empathy and i think that when you live your truth and you discover who you are and you get the support you need and you become your own ally the advocate for yourself i think that you know hopefully that shame then reduces because you are treating yourself with the respect that you you deserve i mean obviously across rainbows an amazing mission to redefine queer identity can you tell everyone about that mission and kind of your your hopes for that i guess and what inspired it in the first place
3: uh so what inspired it was my son nick uh he was 12 and really struggling with questioning and um and You know, I really wanted him to have an amazing coming out. Like, literally, I wanted the sparkles and the parade and, you know, it didn't happen. um, So, so, you know, this was like work in progress. But he was severely bullied. And um, I looked for help for him and there was nothing. And when he was... Do you mind if I say this? Yeah. So when he was around 14... He was, you know, you could have five little boys. Four, one is usually gay, right? And the other four know, before the gay one knows. So they start the bullying. Anyway, so he was bullied quite severely. And there was no help. And so um, I, I was a business consultant, and so we did workshops and stuff. So I, I thought, okay, maybe approach this logically. And instead of trying to fix what's around him is to give him the tools to be able to stand up and defend himself and that's how Across Rainbow started Um, and we sort of um, used to work with um, because this is the sad part is that um, a lot of kids end up uh, leaving school early they sort of don't get jobs they you know and really talented brilliant kids um, but they don't feel good enough. They don't feel, they always feel less than. So we started these really intensive workshops and I'm happy to say they were very successful. They've gone on to become artists and so um, so we've taken it now to the next level where we are sort of, we believe, I'm just going to say this really quickly, that one of the reasons for mental health and this is a belief, um, is that as when you're coming out, you almost like outsource your identity to what society wants you to be. So you really don't know who you are, and if you don't know who you are, you're going to have mental health issues. Because and that we sort of created this thing called um, repetitive paralysis, where you're always changing jobs, changing partners, changing homes, changing because you can't, you don't know who you are, so you're always looking for that answer. Mine was changing homes. I literally, I think, I moved thirty times. So I was always changing homes. Um, but once you know who you are, then you can stand in that power, and and nobody can move you. So, That's
2: yeah. amazing. I think that deserves a round of applause. Really, <laughs> <clears throat> that is incredible. And what a support to to Nick. That's incredible. Um, thank you for sharing. That.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: Uh, Alex, we obviously talked earlier today, and one thing I wanted to talk about was, I guess, the intersectionalities within our community, because this is something that I think has been spoken about more and more over recent years, yeah. with re- good reason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have friends who are of colour and have had mental health issues over the years because of prejudice they've felt or how society has treated them for who, just who they are. So I guess when we then intersect that with queerness, drag, yeah, what a, you know, that opens up another discussion. Yeah. So...
0: I mean, I've kind of got to a point in my life where I just accept every fle- freak flag I have <laughs>
2: as just one flag. I'm just like,
0: it's too complicated to, like, detangle it. And, you know, because it, it, it is all interlocked, like, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, well, I, I grew up in like the early two thousands, like that's when I was going to school and, uh, we moved around a lot and, you know, especially some of the areas we lived, where there wasn't. So when I moved to Sussex, like you know, I, I I love Brighton, like I love Brighton, but when I moved here, it was a it was a culture shock. Like I had lived in like place, usually cities where there was, um, you know, I was still the minority, but you know, um, there was there was a couple of people I could like do the little obligatory black person nod, you know, or whatever. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, me and my sister uh, until. Uh, now we're adults we went undiagnosed as autistic for you know most of our lives so um and i and i know a lot of people of color who have uh things like autism or uh ADHD or whatever it goes under the radar and especially if you're queer as well cuz i think people just say oh well you know alex is just like that because you know she a queen or whatever <laughs> like you know she um and it's it yeah it uh, as I said it's it's in my adult years it's become too difficult to try and detangle uh the the mental health uh acrobatics I've had to do to accept my race to accept my queerness um when it comes to my race like, I'm I'm mixed race I uh I'm, I'm half white uh so that has been something I've had to come to terms with and it has um affected my mental health, uh, greatly. Um, I don't have any contact with my dad's side of the family who is the white side of my family because they are extremely upper middle-class, very religious, uh, racist, like, yeah, they were, the, uh, growing up with them was very, very difficult. And, um, it, I have taken a lot of the things they used to say to me and my sister growing up into life and I'm working through it. I'm working through it. Um, but yeah, uh, what was your... I just want to make sure I'm hitting the no, question. No, no. I just feel like I'm just giving my autobiography right no, now. No, like. no, feel <laughs> great. No, it's, it's,
2: I, guess, I guess it's just about how important it is to recognise and keep the platform going for yeah. conversations about intersectionality because, you know, we've all talked about coming out, the difficulties of that. But I think when you look at it from a, a point of view where, you know, we are living in a, a, a world that is built for white, middle class, yeah. etc., so to be a person of colour and then to come out as queer as well, you're not just a minority, you're then a minority minority. Yes. And, and I think we are talking about this more and more, but I don't think we've over recent years until now have really realised the impact of that. And I guess it's, it's, I think it's really important to talk about it. So I just... Really keen to understand your thoughts on it. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you had probably asked me this que- question a couple of years ago, I probably would have had a much more um, not volatile <laughs> kind of answer. But um, I, uh, when we were talking to before about chosen family, luckily now uh, uh, the last couple of years we doing drag, I have a very uh, a very close knit uh, chosen family of like drag performers, and we're probably the most diverse drag house in Brighton I would say house of debauchery Billy Gold is part of the house so um, yeah so I now I have a lot of people that I can turn to not only my mum because I think my mum was my main support system it similar to you two's relationship um, my mum was like my biggest champion so but um, uh, uh, being an adult now and uh not living at home and also just i don't want to be bothering her with everything all the time like she must get sick of me um but yeah i think I, I i think you're right it is something that we uh need to talk about more um but yeah uh i i was going somewhere with that let's pretend I found it and uh, we'll move on. <laughs> no, I
2: think, I think, you know, we, we have, I mean, obviously we have UK black pride. Yeah. We have, Um, you know, pride generally, but I think one thing that we've, a common thing we've talked about on all of the episodes is a hierarchy within the community, yeah. which shouldn't exist. But I think it's, it's something we have to keep talking about and bring an awareness to because whether it's because of color or transness or yeah. whether you're bi or gay or mask or whatever it might be, it's, there seems to be some sort of hierarchy yeah and i think we have to keep shining on it to abolish it basically yeah. because it's it's bullshit well because it? i it's... think
0: when i came out i kind of like and especially when i found like queer communities and queer friends like i really thought like okay i found my people and then it's like oh well you know <laughs> there's still white people that want to say like some crazy shit to me so oh wait you said we could swear right
2: you can yeah, oh thank home, fuck jesus christ
0: <laughs> um but yeah like i still i i felt like once i entered some queer communities like i still had the barrier of like racism to like deal with and um you know it was just kind of like this feeling of like oh shit not again like do you know what i mean like another another
2: barrier i have to like break down um but uh how do we keep that conversation going then how do we and again and sorry to ask this yeah and because actually i feel I don't want to ask it because, you know, we look at the history of Black Lives Matter and education. It shouldn't be for you to tell us why it's important to keep that conversation going. So I'm not asking that on that basis, but I am asking from the basis of how important it is for us to keep that because you would have experienced that, I guess. And it shouldn't be, it's not something we should, should have to think about, but we do. So how do we keep that conversation going so that, it stops essentially so people do walk into the community and don't feel they're having to think about all the different facets of their personality
0: well i just like i always tell people whenever especially when uh black lives matter during 2020 was like it's hype and everything um i always used to tell people it's just as simple as like ask yourself like are you judging this person based on something that they've done or something they are Mm. like and i think it literally just comes to as simple as that because um you know and we and we we blow things up to you know into all these complicated debates and 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 which are valid and need to happen as well but i think the simple question people just need to ask themselves is just like am i judging this person based on something they've done or something that i see in front of me um because that that's as that's as simple as it you know like people have so many assumptions about me before I even open my mouth when I enter a room. And, you know, and I can see it when I engage them in conversation. And, you know, they might even say like, oh, don't you speak well or something like that? And it's like, fucking hell, I was born in Croydon. Like, shit, it's not that exotic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, yeah, so I do, I think um, it is important to keep those conversations conversations going but i i do think it is just a, a simple question people need to ask themselves of just like how am i judging people
2: yeah and, and yeah. i guess be kind be decent yeah. treat everyone respectfully yeah. regardless of anything and i think that's something we can all take away from this as well it's regardless of any facet of your personality just be kind to people that's yeah. the most important thing absolutely thank yeah. you for sharing that no problem, no problem at all no problem um michael you have written an amazing book um which i absolutely loved last year now available on audiobook as well just to plug that um but uh it's called differences born on the lips and it's part memoir part expose looking at the societal prejudice and um i guess conditions of abusive relationships mental health crises and things for queer people um so can you talk to us about your book which i know you're going to do a little reading from in a bit before we do the interval but um how cathartic was it for you to write this personally and I guess how how has that evolved your journey as a queer person especially around your mental health as well
5: um I think it was huge I think until you know I've said this before like if the pandemic hadn't happened I wouldn't have written this book and I wouldn't have reckoned with a lot of the issues that I've personally gone through and you know, sat down to understand them. I think, you know, the lockdowns gave me that time to sit and understand everything that I'd gone through. Um... What's the question again?
2: <laughs> how many
5: beers have you had
0: today? Four. Uh, we haven't even started the
2: shots yet. <laughs> I know. I can't no shade, wait for the, the interval. No it's it's gonna get no, no, I guess it's just how cathartic was it for you yeah, to write that? It and was also for your own journey of discovery and acceptance of your mental health and yourself. Yeah, I think
5: it it was you know the the biggest part of my journey of my mental health the, as I was saying earlier I'd, I'd never really stopped to kind of understand why really throughout my entire life that I'd been struggling with my mental health whether that was anxiety or depression or being suicidal and never really stopped to process it and understand why I was feeling that way and why it happened and also you know how what I'd been struggling with in my mental health was impacting in other parts of my area. So we were Melanie and I were talking outside about um, domestic abuse in the queer community. And I'd never understood that my mental health was impacting my relationships with other people and what I accepted as normal and As a standard in my relationships with other men. And I didn't realize until that point that my mental health was integral to that, that my self esteem, my self respect, my, you know, um, (laughs) my, um, you know, how I viewed myself and my mental health was what I was willing to accept from other people. And until I sat down and wrote this book, I didn't realize that. I didn't correlate the two that, you know, I'd been through two abusive relationships and didn't realize that because of what I'd gone through in my life and how I viewed myself and, you know, my own mental health and believing that that was the love I deserved until I, you know, had this time to sit down and reflect on my mental health and my journey, you know, I never would have made those correlations, and you know that's the one of the biggest things that we need to start discussing is not just how mental health impacts us as an individual but how it impacts our relationships with other people not necessarily a romantic relationship but with our family with our friends with our colleagues you know as queer people we you know we're we're getting by we're getting by and we you know I don't think we take the time to stop and think about, you know, our mental health in a wider context and what we accept from other people. And I think it was last week, someone was talking about, you know, when you start putting up those boundaries and those walls to protect yourself, that people say you're selfish. And, you know, that really resonated with me last week of when you start to protect your mental health and when you start to protect yourself – that's when your relationships change and I think that's really vital for us to start recognizing is that we do need to start protecting ourselves and look at you know the love and the relationships and the friendships that we accept because you know that's what we think we deserve and you know there's a little bit of validation there there's a little bit of giving and that's what we accept because that's what we're craving because for so much of our lives we've being rejected for our identities for our gender for our sexuality for you know all of the other intersectionalities that from childhood they've been rejected so we will accept that small bit of love or attention
2: even if it's not healthy for us i guess it's validating in some way until it's not and then it becomes difficult um it's really interesting what you said about the the boundaries and because i think if you put boundaries up or you do start protecting yourself if people truly understand they'll stick around and they'll support you if people don't and that's a threat you'll see those relationships start to i think that's quite common thank you for sharing that um Mel, obviously you're a, a domestic abuse worker and the outreach lead for Across Rainbows, um, which is incredible. Um, and I know that confidentiality with this stuff is is paramount. So I'm not going to ask you to go into cases and that kind of stuff. But I think what I'd like you to do, if you could, is, is just share the type of things or experiences that you've had within your role. Because I think sometimes we don't necessarily think about Things happening within the community, or well, any community, you know, if it doesn't affect you, you don't necessarily think about it. But obviously, abuse and you know struggles are are prevalent within the queer community. So, are you happy to share some of your experiences and actually how your role helps and supports others?
4: Um, yeah, so I've, there's a few, but uh, there's one that springs to mind that just happened recently. Um, I was trying to uh, chase up a homelessness application that I'd made a week previous. And I was sitting with this client and calling the council on his behalf. And the council, just the person on the other side had decided she'd made her decision on that he wasn't priority to need. We had a bit of an argument. She overshot me, shouted at me and then hung up at me. And as I was sitting with him, this person hasn't eaten for several days um, every time I've seen him recently I've given him my lunch because he's not had anything to eat for days like, and you can see the blood come back into his face just having something to eat so his mental health is obviously crashing because his physical health isn't great and then, they then because they decided that they had denied his application um, I couldn't do anything other than try and get him on street support um, it didn't go well this week hasn't gone well at all for either of us Um, and he's ended up in a really bad way and I took that on really badly on Friday when I found out because I felt like kind of through that circumstance I was in some way responsible I know it's not me and I will raise hell tomorrow Um, but that like pressure that we take on because especially being part of the LGBT community and wanting to help our, like, our people in this community when they're very, their existence is sometimes denied, even in Brighton and Hove, where we're supposed to be acknowledged like the gayest city in the country. I'm having fights with some bitch in the council who doesn't want to acknowledge that, you know, we might just be just as vulnerable as some other cis, white female who's fleeing domestic abuse and I know that that's just as valid but our validity like is sometimes so overlooked and this isn't the first time it's happened and it's happened I have a client that I've been working with for a long time and her validity has been overlooked like her her relationship has been talked about like a relationship breakdown and you know these other little words to dance around the fact that it's been domestic abuse like that's that's the point I'm always trying to push. Like, we're just as valid as everybody else. And we're just as likely to mess up and have, you know, you know mess and domestic abuse in our relationships and issues that we might come across as any other person in the world. Like, just because we're queer and we have this, like, a small community we want to protect, we're just as vulnerable as any other person in the world. And so when we're having these conversations with authorities and people in authority... I swear, I wish one of them would just, uh, like, sometimes listen when we say that we're a part of the community and we know what we're talking about and we are qualified and we are LGBT and I'm telling you that this person is, you know, is just as vulnerable as whoever you've just put in a refuge. You know, like, we don't have access to that same kind of support. We just don't. It doesn't exist. So when I'm trying to get support from the councils or, you know, the police, you know, sometimes the police have turned up three or four deep in uniform to someone that I've had make a safeguarding report on. And it's been a historic report, and that's what we have to do because that's our safeguarding, you know, like our promise. When I've called and just said, like, please, please, they're terrified of the police. We don't have a great relationship with the police. Let's all understand that for a very good reason. Please just, is there some way we can have a, a delicate conversation about this or we can come to you? with a non uniformed police officer, twice has happened to me three or four uniformed officers have turned up at someone's property because I've had to make a safeguarding report like where on earth does that level of safety and community and responsibility come in when you're going to frighten people and where where is our trust going to come from and then you add on trauma and like levels of like being outed and coming out to police you know you're coming out to any level of authority and then not understanding the terminology or even just accepting who you're telling them you are if you're in, if you're just assumed to be heteronormative coming out when you're traumatized is really difficult especially if you've had a traumatic experience coming out and you add on the fact that you're having to tell them that you're fleeing your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner it's just there's levels of like a lack of understanding that i, I sometimes I baffles yes. me
5: like just to add on to that <laughs> like Sorry, for my own, no no no, no i was just, like starting me. clapping there for it but like uh, along like from my own experience when I was being stalked by my previous partner and like went to the nationals stalking helpline and they're like well the only way that this is going to get resolved is if you go to court and I was like okay I'm not out to yeah. my family I'm recovering from this abusive relationship I'm now being stalked mm-hmm. you know we're Exactly what you're saying, like, there's so many traumas, there's so many layers that we need protecting and understanding from for someone to go through those processes mm-hmm. is is horrific for some people, yeah. you know. And, and I didn't do anything. I didn't proceed. I just let it continue because I was like, I emotionally cannot go through a court case Yeah. after coming out of an abusive relationship and my family not knowing... Mm-hmm that i'm gay you know there's exactly what you're saying like someone could be outed you know the level of support and understanding is just not there in our judicial system in our police system in our mental health system like there's all of these layers we're talking
4: safeguarding right with so many like heteronormative assumptions we don't talk safeguarding in the LGBT community. So like like being outed, like losing your home, like losing your family. That's a safeguarding level that I think is something that we should all kind of understand when we're talking protecting someone's safety. Yeah. And that's what we do when we protect vulnerable adults and children because we have a safeguarding policy. And we don't have that for LGBT people because that's why you end up vulnerable.
2: Do you think that... Um... And obviously, thank you for sharing, you know, what, what you have. Do you think that there is enough awareness out there about domestic abuse and mental health within our community? Everyone's shaking their heads. No. no.
3: I mean, they, they don't, police don't really even take it seriously if two men are having a domestic dispute. I mean, they, I, I've worked at probation. They love the officer, you know, they can defend what, themselves. Is that
2: because they're they're two men? or Yeah, two right. men, or,
3: yeah, yeah. They don't take it seriously. It's terrible. They yeah.
4: call it like mutual combat or some other bullshit. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's two men having a fight or whatever. Yeah. Like it's dismissed because it couldn't possibly be a male perpetrator and a male victim or, you know. Yeah. Or, or, you know Is it the same treatment.
2: for two women as well? Yeah. 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 i have actually had cases yeah.
4: where they've dismissed it yeah. because they've just called it a relationship yeah. breakdown and another one where they've said that two neighbours have fallen out because they happen to live near each other. Yeah. And I had said over and over again, it's domestic abuse. It's being considered that, like, this person isn't being housed because she's fleeing domestic abuse. And they wouldn't acknowledge it any time.
2: And again, I'm assuming, this is an assumption, but I'm assuming if that's the case for two men and two women, gender non-conforming or trans oh, people, it's oh, going to be don't down the line, isn't it? It's well, not going to happen. We don't exist in most it's spaces, according yes. to some people. Do you know what I mean? So
3: yeah, I, I, I just, I read an article and I literally cried about how trans people when they die they 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 go back to their original i i think that's horrible i i don't know if it happens in england this is in america but it's really horrible they they just they well, but, I think
2: if you if you if you haven't had um, the
3: gender recognition certificate, certificate, it doesn't. It, yeah, it, but it can it can happen. Yeah, you, but a lot of them don't, right? No,
4: because it's expensive. It's costly yeah. to get a GRC, but right? but they've
3: lived all their life, and then they die and They just check that box. Yeah. I think it's so horrible.
2: So, yeah. Sorry, absol- go ahead. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Speak. It's it's important. I think it's important. We we talk about this. So, okay, two questions then. What do we need to do in our community to improve mental health for ourselves and for each other? And what do we need? I mean, pretty much, (laughs) there's a lot we need externally. But actually, what do we need? What action do we need to call upon the people at the top, the people that are running the country, the people that have influence and power Mm -hmm. to support our community? Because it just feels like it isn't there. Well, we need to vote them out first. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the, that's
0: the top solution. Need to get them motherfuckers out them there. Out,
5: yeah. Yeah. Amen.
2: Yeah. So, okay, so let's go internally first. So Luciana, what, what do we need to do? Because we've talked about this several times over the coffee, getting our own house in order, especially around allyship. You know, I think we've talked about we can have great allies, but actually it feels like we're missing a trick internally first.
3: I, I think we need to be loud, really loud really, 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 really loud and say, not taking this anymore. Just, I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, it, it, they count on us playing small. You know, they, they think, like, you know, Melanie's saying this, is poor people, you know, all this trouble. You, you really think they're going to go to court after all this? Mm. But, you know, but it shouldn't be allowed to get to that stage. And I think it's the fundamentals that need to change. I think we need to, like I said, we need to start over again and just, you know, be the people we need to be for ourselves. No one else is going to show up. We need to show up for ourselves.
2: And for each other.
3: And for each other, so yes. So important. We're going to save ourselves in the end. Yeah. No one else is going to do it. Mm-hmm.
2: What about externally? <laughs> uh, what do you think about external? Well, I just wanted to jump on yeah, what course. was
0: just said because, like, I I totally agree with this because, personally, myself, like, I have such an fear of like establishment in in general like to the point where I will put off like making a doctor's appointment because of just like how many times I've been judged for being black or queer or whatever and you know I even going to spec savers yeah like I'm just like oh god no like anything filling out forms or anything you know it's just it's it's stressful but yeah it's taking that responsibility for yourself and going no I need to because I'm one more voice to be added to the to the mass to make change and in in whatever situation. And but yeah, was, no, 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 sorry, go on, go on.
3: No, no sorry. Oh, okay. And then what
0: we uh,
2: externally? What do we need? Yeah, I guess externally. Yeah. You know, what do we What do we need to see? How How do we stop what Mel's described? How do? And, and that's a well big question. But I how, don't
0: really know what is the road to this. But like, uh, as far as I'm concerned, until we have more queer people, more people of colour, more people with disabilities in positions where change can actually be enacted. Because, of course, we can do everything we can to be loud and to get out there and and, and do what needs to be done. Um, but when you're talking to someone who on the other end of the phone or in person or whatever during your, I can imagine like most <laughs> of the time it isn't a queer person and it isn't, a, you know, someone who understands what yeah. you're describing. And sometimes, you know, as much as you can try your hardest to get people to understand, sometimes you just can't get past that wall. I've seen it in conversations I've mm-hmm. had with people where I've just gone, you know what? You don't even under You're not even close to understanding this perspective because you are unwilling to leave you know, the box, you know, which none of us live inside. I've never even seen a box. I don't know what a box looks like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So um, yeah. I, again, I don't know what the road to that is. I know that first, you know, it, we need to vote the people in power out. Like. Also, Get them out. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah.
3: I, I think we need to start losing those words tolerance and acceptance yeah. enough yeah. you know that those two words need to come out yeah. of the vocabulary yeah. i don't ever want to be tolerated Ex- exactly Just right there secondly i think the people who do sit at the table they're, they're not the right people no they, they they sell out they you know they just oh we've we don't have a voice but we're sitting at the table mm. no you know they need to be head of the table mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah absolutely well do you know it's funny you know and again i don't know if this is a bit controversial but when election comes up and they say who are you voting for i haven't got a clue because i don't trust anyone <laughs> it's like maybe we need to start our own party <laughs> how can <laughs> we you know i know who
4: i don't trust though so sorry? that's a good place to start i know who i don't trust
2: yeah exactly yeah, yeah I, exactly. I don't know but i i don't i don't you I start think, doing like the
0: enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's how you end yeah, up voting. But, but yeah. So
2: much misinformation and so much that's promised and doesn't deliver that you yeah. just kind of think, oh, how, you know, how do we make that change? It's just so tricky. Thank you all so much for your contributions. Um, Don't turn your mic off yet because you've got to read something. (laughs) So I'm really pleased you're going to be doing this because, um, as I said, I read this book last year and I think it's incredible. And I'm so happy we're getting to speak tonight. But Michael has written an incredible book, which is on sale today at the book stand. Please buy the uh, book. My lovely husband is selling. Um, But yeah, would you like to read something from your wonderful book? And you can take my copy and sign it later if you like. I will sign it for you. Uh, there was Don't judge me for folding back pages Sorry I do that oh, I'm just Did seeing I them all pick the
3: page too? <laughs> Sorry? Did you pick the page? No, no I, I, I always fold
2: back the pages I know that people Like really frown upon that But it's just like my thing
5: How long do I have? Five minutes Five minutes Okay
2: Well you, I'm not, <laughs> not timing you But you know <laughs> <laughs> <We don't. laughs> Sorry I'm just trying to find the bit There was a bit I liked
5: Okay, got it. So this from chapter twelve, which um, it's a bit of a love letter to the friends, of the chosen family, and my family who got me through a lot of the stuff that I got through. Um, so yeah, trauma is not stored as a narrative with an orderly beginning, middle, and end. This played a fundamental role in my healing. It helped me understand that the abuse I experienced wasn't an isolated product. My mental health problems weren't an isolated product. They weren't neatly tied up in a beginning, middle, end. Trauma will surface at many points in life, not just at the trauma's conception, and can influence you in a multitude of ways. Just because it may not have an obvious impact at the time doesn't mean it hasn't affected you inside, hasn't altered how you react to the world, to yourself, others around you. The body records everything, it changes even if nothing looks like it has changed. Nothing is destroyed, even if it may be forgotten. Trauma doesn't just appear and disappear. We get up every day, shouldering a weight even if we can't feel it. The everyday microaggressions, the long standing abuse and othering from childhood, the shame, the guilt, it shifts and influences, blooms and explodes in ways we can't predict. It hovers over us. Waking up and not knowing why we feel down, what's wrong, why we don't feel like carrying on, why we're so tired. Humans are resilient. We can function for years, decades, until the body or mind finally signal that it can't handle it anymore. Our mental health can only take so much. Healing is not a switch, it's one step at a time, sometimes steps backwards or sideways. I've tried antidepressants, been through therapy, written and written to understand. Read, throwing myself into different activities that would help me feel better in myself. There is not a magic trick to overcome what we've gone through and been through. No potion to drink that will erase the past and transform us into an entirely different person. We don't live in fairy tales. My journey out of abuse, my path to begin to deal with my mental health issues... Will not be the same for everyone. The biggest part was to live my life, live who I am and who I want to be, embracing and loving my truth, not what others, not what society expects of me. See myself in all its entirety, its beauty, its importance. If there is one thing to remember, it is you are beautiful and you are valued. We cannot let the world minimize us. That journey still continues. There is no failure. It's a series of falling on and off the bandwagon. It's a process that will continue, but there is a route for everyone. That is why we must continue to talk, to heal together, to speak up, to challenge. The world is full of systemic barriers and structures that are in place to bring us down, to make us feel different, to weaken us. We cannot change the world if the world doesn't understand the realities that we face, how our lives are affected by what has been set up as surround us. We cannot change the world by doing it by ourselves or taking each other down. We have to dissect what is going on around us in order to understand whats what it is we need to do to make the fe- that future better. We have to understand the past, how it affects our present, and how we can shape the present into a different future. They don't work in isolation. We all have many beginnings and many endings. It's at what point we start to define ourselves. Finding that point is key to beginning to address and work through the trauma. Continuing to find those new beginnings, finding those ending points to move on and start a new chapter in our healing. We take our history with us. We cannot destroy the past. We cannot change it. We can evolve from it, though. We can learn from it, accept it, and move forward as a different person. At Lucum, towards the light, was embroidered on the red badge I wore on my blazer at school years ago. Another day, another dawn. One more step towards the light.
2: Thank you very much. A round of applause. <laughs> thank you so much. That was wonderful. And that book is on sale right now in the interval. So big thank you to everyone. We're going to take a small break um we'll come back in about 20 minutes for an audience q a so if anyone has any questions please um yeah get them ready and we'll uh, <laughs> look at it darren please get them ready and we will um yeah we'll do some audience q a but thank you so so much and thank you to my guests the conversation doesn't stop here check out the next part of this podcast episode on your streaming platform you will not be disappointed i really hope you enjoyed the show a big thank you once again to all my guests please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like, and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also, check out my website, www.flueyactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.